You see our Lottie Moon goal there in your, uh, your bulletin. Uh, that's what we're seeking to, to raise, uh, to, to send to the International Mission Board Foreign Missions. Uh, we had a little hiccup this week with the uh, poinsettias, but we got that worked out, and that over $100 of, of what you spent on the uh, poinsettias will be going directly to Lottie Moon, so that's great. That's just one more way that we get to uh, give a part to, uh, to missions, and I know we're all excited to take as many opportunities to, to give to Lottie Moon and the IMB as possible. Kids, thank y'all for what you did this morning. We enjoyed that. We appreciate it. Donald, Amy, and, uh, and, and, and Carrie, and other adults that I'm leaving out, and uh, youth adults that, that helped, uh, thank all of y'all for doing it. Let give, let's give them one more hand. Take your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 1, uh, beginning a, my Christmas series, uh, Promises Kept, How Jesus Fulfilled What the Angels Said. Uh, the, the paintings on the screen up there were really interesting. Uh, they're, they're painted in an Indian style, East Indian, uh, of, uh, of painting. I can't remember the uh, artist's name. Marsha, somebody, I'll have to look that up. But uh, I thought those were really neat. It creates a, a different impression than originally I was going with like the uh, Sunday school poster um, pictures, but uh, I found these and I thought that's really cool. Y'all may disagree totally, but it doesn't matter. I think they're pretty. Uh, we're looking at what the angels promised first Mary, and then we'll look uh, December 24th at the promise to Joseph. The, when the angel spoke to him in a dream. That's what we'd be looking at for the next four weeks. But let me ask you a question. How many of y'all believe what a politician promises you? Just go ahead and raise your hand. Anybody want to do that right now? It, oh, well, okay. Hopefully some of them actually do keep their promises. Uh, the, the, I think the promise that defines my age group, uh, at least the way I see it, was read my lips, no new taxes. Uh, that particular promise came back to haunt that particular candidate in his re-election campaign. Didn't, didn't do too well for him. That promise didn't, didn't age well. But they all make them. Uh, they, they all say they're going to do certain things, and either they don't or they can't or whatever. They, you know, let's not be too judgmental. But we just don't, you just don't know. It's not necessarily, uh, they're not necessarily trustworthy all the time. Now let me ask you this. Do you believe what I, and I'll, I have in parentheses here, a certain family member promises? Because I, I imagine some of you have the family member that they say something you don't know. You just, you know it's not going to happen the way they said. But you do have family members, I would hope, that if they say something, you can, you can trust that it's going to happen. What's the difference between those two people, the politician and the family member? It's that you know them. It, it, they, they come with a certain authority in their promise. The, 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 when, when a mom or a dad says, we're going to do this, uh, or this will happen, uh, chances are you're going to believe that and, 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 and look for the day it happens, whether it's if you do that one more time, you're going to get a whipping 
and you look for the whipping if you do it, uh, or the, the promise of something else. Now, parents fail, family members fail, make promises, say things will happen, things don't work out the way they had planned, and they don't do it. But there's still this trustworthiness that comes with uh, a family member that we know. Well, over the next four weeks, we're going to look uh, at some of the most reliable messengers to ever bring a message. Uh, when it comes to reliability, those messengers directly from God should be at the top of the list and are at the top of the list for reliability. We can trust what they say. So we're going to look at what the angels said and then see how Jesus fulfilled that. We're also going to look a little bit at what people expected when they heard that promise. So Luke, Luke chapter 1, 31, we're going to read 31 through 33. Uh, to get us where we need to be. Now listen, angel talking to Mary, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this incredible gift that you sent us in Jesus. God, we thank you for your word and how it uh, is your revelation, how you reveal your plans to us, how you revealed uh, to us 2,000 years later how uh, things happened, how you worked out your plan, and then how you reveal as well the promises that you have for us that, that we see fulfilled today and will eventually see fulfilled uh, in the future. Lord, we thank you that, uh, that your promises then affect us now, and may your word dig deep into our hearts and affect change uh, in, in our relationship with you this morning. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're just going to look at what the angel said about Jesus, what, what he was talking, or he, probably the angel, what he was talking about uh, when he tells Mary, this is what your son is going to be like. First thing that the angel said to Mary was that he will be great. It says that in verse 32. He will be great. Now, interesting thing about the annunciation to Mary is that it is a, uh, a contrast with the annunciation to Zechariah about uh, the birth of John the Baptist. There, it, it, it is extremely paralleled. Uh, what the angel tells Zechariah in, uh, while he is in the temple and then what the angel tells Mary when, she, when uh, she's approached. And it's, but it's, the, the parallel though is, though it doesn't say it this way, John the Baptist is this, but Jesus will be this. And John the Baptist is this, but Jesus will be this. It's a superlative. It's every, every step of the way, it's, it's a little bit or a lot better for Jesus than John the Baptist. And this particular phrase is a contrast uh, with John the Baptist, that back in verse, uh, I think it's 15, but don't quote me. Um, yeah, it's 15. says that John the Baptist will be great in the sight of the Lord. Well, see, it, it doesn't say anything, uh, uh, it doesn't add any sort of qualifier for Jesus. For John the Baptist, he was great in the sight of the Lord because of his consecration by God and his role for God. 
And we see that in verse 15. That John the Baptist was going to be great because what God was going to do through him and, and with him and what he was doing for him. Jesus is just great. There's no qualifier on Jesus' greatness here, so there's no limit to his greatness. There's no... Uh, see, John the Baptist was still a sinner. John the Baptist was still human. Jesus was not. He was great period, the end, stop, except the verse actually keeps going. His greatness, what he's saying here, it will be obvious to everyone. People will know his greatness. People will observe his greatness. People will be in awe of his greatness, but people will be scared of his greatness. His greatness will be what gets him crucified eventually. His greatness is what will turn people against him as well as turn people to him. It'll be obvious to everybody because he was great, not just in name, but by his very nature. Greatness was Jesus' true being. Great is who Jesus is. I might be great at some things. Heavy emphasis on might. I might be great at one or two things. I smoked a pretty good pork shoulder yesterday. I don't know if I'd be considered great at it, but pretty good. But you are, are probably great at one or two things, but great is not who you are. Great is not who I am. Fallen, sinful, depraved human, that's who I am, who happens to be great at a few things. Jesus wasn't just great at a few things. Jesus wasn't just great at everything. Jesus is the embodiment of greatness because Jesus is God in flesh. So we see a greatness here with no qualifier. We see this fulfilled later on, one of many places, but one that I picked out. Luke 8, 25, where the, the, Jesus has been asleep. They, they're on the boat, and there's been a great storm. They wake him up. He asks them, uh, where's your faith? He speaks to the storm. The winds... Uh, calm, the uh, sea stills, and everybody in the boat is amazed. And they say, who then is this? He commands even the winds and the waves, and they obey him. Because in essence, Jesus was great. And he was greater than anything else. He was greater than creation. We look at the stars, we look at the universe, we look at the Grand Canyon, uh, we look at uh, anything man-made, Great Wall of China, all these, all these things are, are really impressive. And yet, Jesus is greater than all of them. Who is this? He commands even the winds and waves to obey him. The angel said, he will be great. And he was. The angel continued, he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. Now, later on, in verse 35, he's going to tell her again, he will be called the Son of God. We're going to separate those two just a little bit. We'll talk about verse 35 next week. But here, the Son of the Most High, he, they're talking about God. We get that. We understand that. But this Son of the Most High, Son of God, is a clear designation of the Messiah. We can look at a couple of different places and see that, and we'll turn back to that. Uh, I'll turn there quickly, and you can do, there, do it more quickly than me, if you'd like. Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7 is the first place. In this verse, or in this passage, David has been uh, 
confronted. Uh, he, he is, he's he's made, had some sin issues, but uh, the prophet's coming to him and telling him what's going on, what's going to happen, and he gets this promise. 2 Samuel 12, verse 7. When your time comes and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up after you your descendant who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will discipline him with a rod of men and blows from mortals. But my faithful love will never leave him as it did when I removed it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and kingdom will endure, forever before, uh, endure before me forever, and your throne will be established forever. Now, what we know about that passage is that though it is looking at a coming Messiah, there was never an opportunity for God to do what verse 14 said, where he had to discipline him with the rod of men and blows from mortals. But yet, if we look at Hebrews, when it says that Jesus learned from his, and we were, you know, Jesus didn't have to learn anything in his uh, divine self, but his human self, his body, learned what it was to be human. From the cross, we see the blows of men that he took. This passage is a direct prophecy for the people to look for a coming Messiah, the Son of God. Psalm 2-7 does the same thing for us, prepares us, for this coming Messiah. I will declare the Lord's decree, he said to me. You are my son. Today I have become your father. Both of these passages are just a couple of examples of how the Jews were looking for a Messiah, for a son of God, son of the Most High. The angel shows up and tells Mary, your son will be great and he will be the son of the Most High. This is more than just lineage. The, the, the pagan world of, at this time was replete with stories of gods making women pregnant. But it all referred to the actual physical act. This story, this explanation for how Jesus came into existence, how he became the son of Mary, did not involve any physical act in the ways that the other pagan religions described it. It was something all to itself about the Holy Spirit putting him in there. No, no way we can get to, well, the writers of the Bible were just borrowing stories from other religions. No, it didn't work that way because this story, this description was uh, completely different from all the others because of that reason. And it shows here then that Jesus has an all exalted status and relationship with God. There's more than just sonship, more than just lineage. There is something here, some relationship here, that is more than passed on. I'm my, my father's son. I mean, that's clear. You can look at me. You can listen to me. You can look at him and listen to him. And every, Yeah, y'all are clearly related. But no one would ever say I am exactly like my father. No one would ever say that I am in every way just like him. Yet Jesus embodies his father more than just physical lineage. What we see is this sonship of Jesus qualifies him and empowers him for the tasks that are coming. The angel tells Mary, your son will be the son of the Most High. He will be completely prepared, completely ready, completely 
uh, able to fulfill the role of Messiah that he has been sent to this earth to fulfill. He is everything that he has been promised to be. The centurion, when Jesus breathed his last on the cross, Mark 15, 39. When the centurion who was standing opposite him saw the way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. They recognized it. His greatness would be recognized by all. His sonship, his, his title as Son of the Most High, was recognized by the very people that killed him. I guarantee you, others that killed him and put him on that cross recognized it as well that day, though they probably wouldn't have admitted it out loud. So, he will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. He said, uh, the angel continues, The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. This is the eternal rule of the Messiah. Isaiah 9-7 talks about that. Talks about uh, the branch not leaving. Uh, or uh, rather, the, the kingdom uh, being forever. The dominion, verse uh, Isaiah 9-7, the dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. Uh, and then Daniel 7-14, where we go when we're wondering what's happening at the end. What's, uh, what's happening when in the apocalypse we get some explanation for revelation from Daniel. Daniel said he was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. Isaiah understood. Daniel understood. David and Samuel understood. They all understood that this one who would come and rule forever was one of the children of David. There's a connection here with this lineage. Go back and read the first chapter of Matthew. Go back and read the, is it the third chapter of Luke where it talks about his lineage. And you see that Jesus, whether you go through, I believe Matthew is Joseph's lineage, and I believe Mary is, uh, uh, and I believe Luke is Jesus' lineage. Whether you go through any one, either one, you get back to David. Dave, uh, Jesus was the Messiah from the line of David that was promised an eternal rule. This was the promised Messiah to the Jews. This was important for uh, Matthew or Luke here to get across to the people who are reading his stories, reading his account. I keep saying stories. We, sometimes we think stories are, aren't true. Oh, don't tell me a story, right? That's why we have we, what we say when we tell find out kids are lying. Don't tell me a story. That's not how I'm using story here. Uh, narrative, if you prefer. This is the promised Messiah to the Jews. This is the one that they had been looking for for a couple of thousand years. Actually, even further. In Sunday school this morning, we read Genesis 3.15, where it talks about he would put, God would put enmity between the seed of Eve and the serpent. And the serpent would strike the heel, but he, Jesus, would crush his head. The promise had been around for a long time, and the Jews were looking for it. The man that uh, uh, Jesus healed in Luke 18, 38, 
It says, so he called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Everybody knew who this man was. It was clear to them all, which made their rejection of him even worse. The Jewish rejection of Jesus makes no sense at the moment. He was everything, excuse me, everything that the Old Testament promised him to be. But while their rejection was to their detriment, it was to our benefit. Because the Jews reject, rejected, the gospel went to the Gentiles, the plan of God all along. And those Gentiles, you and me, got to hear the message of the gospel. And we get to respond to that message. And then we see what will happen someday. The eternal nature. We haven't come across the eternal throne yet, but we will. Revelation 4, verses 1 through 3. Chapter 5, verses 6 through 7. After this, I looked, and there in heaven was an open door. The first voice that I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and there was a throne in heaven, and someone was seated on it. The one seated there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian stone, a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald surrounded the throne. And it goes on and talks about the elders that surrounded the throne and constantly worshipped, and, and angels and the, the, the flat flashes of lightning and peals of thunder and all this was going around around that throne room. Now, clearly, that throne is talking about God. But if we turn over to verses 6 through 7 of chapter 5, it says, Then I saw one like a slaughtered lamb, standing in the midst of the throne, and the four living creatures and among the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent into all the earth. He went and took the scroll out of the right hand of the one seated on the throne. Who would have the ability to approach God in such a way except the eternal Son of God? When, when John looked at that throne room, saw in our future, believers, God on his throne, what he saw in the midst of the throne was the Lamb also slain, the Lamb who was there. The eternal rule of the Messiah, though it doesn't look like it right now, though, though his kingdom is not an earthly kingdom, and it does exist right now, but it's not as visible, except when we look around in here, there will be a day when the kingdom will be completely visible. So we see in this passage this Trinitarian language showing the equality of the Lamb with God and access to God's throne. He inherits the throne of his David, the angel said. Verse 33, the angel goes on. He will reign over the house of Jacob, house of Israel. The, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the one they looked back to, the patriarch, the one they named their country after, their, 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 their people group after. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Israel maintains some purpose in the eternal plan of God. God has a plan for Israel. Now, this does not mean that every Jew ever will be saved. Jews have to be saved just like Gentiles do, the same way. Galatians is clear on that as are other parts of the Bible. They must have faith in Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior in order to be saved. But someday, I believe when Revelation talks about Israel and the New Jerusalem and those sorts of things that he is talking about a revival in Israel 
a Jewish revival. Israel will recognize their Messiah someday. For far, far too many, it will be too late. They will have had their opportunity and rejected him all the way back to the time he taught them from their own temple steps. But for some, for many, at, at some point, there will be a Jewish revival. Israel will recognize their Messiah. And then we see, again in Revelation, this, this special place for Israel, for the house of Jacob. Chapter 21 of Revelation, verse 2. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride, adorned for her husband. There will be something special about that new Jerusalem. You can read the description as you go on. But God came, or God rather sent Jesus for his people, for the Jews. Their rejection, as I said, was to their detriment. It was to our uh, eternal joy. But there's something great coming. The promise that the angel made was fulfilled, will be fulfilled. But the way God looks at time, because he said it will happen, in reality, it's already happened. I mean, it's, it's, it is so set in stone that God, when God says something will happen, that it is, is, it is as if it has already occurred. It is that, uh, that guaranteed. We can look at it as, well... I don't have to worry about it. It will happen. And then he says last, his kingdom will have no end. We already know he's going to be on an eternal throne. We know his rule will be eternal. But this kingdom that will have no end, if we didn't get it yet, the angel is telling us, look, everything that was promised in the Old Testament will happen. See, the kingdom was the Old Testament uh, hope, but the New Testament message. In the Old Testament, they looked for a kingdom. So when Jesus came, he said, the kingdom of heaven is near. I'm here. It is exactly what you've talked about. Now, they wanted a political kingdom. They wanted somebody in control at the White House, or I mean that the... Uh, wherever it was, at their White House, to control everything, to pass the laws that they wanted, to do all the things. And Jesus said, that is not my kingdom. That's not what I'm here for. I'm not here for politics. I'm here for a spiritual change in the hearts of people. Politics wouldn't have changed anybody. He could have taken a throne, and he could have commanded everybody to do whatever he wanted them to do, and he might have actually gotten them to do it. But obedience to a law does not change the heart. Read Galatians again. Obedience to the law doesn't change the heart of the person being obedient. Only a work in that heart, only a spiritual kingdom can change the heart. And that was the New Testament message that Jesus preached. John the Baptist said the kingdom is at hand. When Jesus showed up and started teaching, the kingdom is near. He knew that as believers, our citizenship is outside of any political or earthly entity. We are members of an eternal, a heavenly kingdom. It does not change our responsibility in our earthly state, but it does change how we respond to that. The kingdom is our eternal hope. That is what we look forward to. Revelation 
again, talks about it, the promise of that, how we will see that fulfilled in Revelation 21. Some incredible pictures that we get of this new creation, starting in verse 22. I did not see a temple in it, because the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, because the glory of God illuminates it, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never close by uh, day, because it will never be night there. They will bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. Nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those written in the Lamb's book of life. They, that is our hope. Then he showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle. See how we're conflating the two, the God and the Lamb? Go back to that picture of the throne that J John saw at the beginning of Revelation. And he saw the Lamb among the throne. See how... Trinity. The tree of life was on each side of the river, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. There will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. People will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, because the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Forever. That is our kingdom. That is our hope. That is our promise. And the angel told Mary, this is what your son is going to be. Imagine. Imagine having that sort of announcement when you found out you were going to be pregnant. Very few of us find out we're going to be pregnant, but, you know, she did. She found out she was going to be pregnant. I love my kids. I do, and I'm very proud of, of, of what they do, their, their specialties, their, their different characteristics. But if somebody had told me, your son is going to be, you know, king, eternal, forever, and all these things, I'd have been all, mm, I don't know about that. But uh, my, my kids weren't immaculately conceived. Uh, there was no angel that came and spoke. There was no surprise in the how or the who of my kids. But imagine hearing that about your child. Imagine you're 13 years old. And an angel says, you're going to be pregnant. And you're all, I ain't never been with a man. And he says, that ain't going to matter. Holy Spirit's going to do this, and this is who your child will be. Popular song this time of the year is Mary Did You Know, and its theology is okay. I'm, I'm not against the song at all. The answer to the question, though, Mary Did You Know, is yes and no. She didn't know he was going to calm seas and didn't know about healing the blind man and healing the lame man, but she knew that her son would be the Holy One, would be, uh, rather, would be great, 
and be called the Son of the Most High. She knew that he would have the throne of his father David. She knew that he would reign over the house of Jacob forever. And she knew that her son's kingdom would not end. What a wonderful promise to have as she stood at the base of that cross 33 years later. God, you said my son's kingdom would never end. Why is he dying? She knew. He's still got a promise to fulfill. There is still hope in the kingdom. So what's the point here? Oh, one more verse. Peter saw it when he wrote his letter, 2 Peter 1.11. He said, For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be richly provided for you. Peter knew that there was only one way to experience the eternal kingdom. And that was through a relationship with Jesus Christ. So what's the point? You're thinking, oh, Michael, that's great. Uh, You just told me what the angel said and how he fulfilled it, but where are my three steps to apply and follow? I don't have three steps for you this morning. But I do have the application. The Jesus you claim to serve deserves more than lip service and a few minutes of your attention each week. This is the Jesus that was born. This is the Jesus that we celebrate once a year that has been commercialized and materialized and denigrated and been washed out of most of culture and society. We like Christmas, we just don't like Christ for most in society. We like the Christmas movies, just don't mention Jesus. We do it on all the, uh, have Christmas series on all the channels, but rarely is Jesus a part of that. Trees and snow and presents and that sort of thing, but we have left Jesus out. Believers, we often have done the same thing. Oh, we get uh, upset uh, over the, the holiday trees and the happy holidays instead of Christmas, but are you so upset in August when Jesus is secondary to what you're doing. In June, in February, when Jesus is still supposed to be the center of everything you're doing, and yet he's second, third, fourth, twentieth place, depending on what's going on that day, week, or month. This is not a story. And, and by that, I mean something we like to hear. This is not just a, a, a plaything. This is not a holiday. This is not a Sunday morning issue. This is a great son of the Most High, ruler over the, uh, 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 the, uh, sitting on the throne of this, his father David, reigning over the house of Jacob forever with an eternal kingdom, and you say you follow him, and I say I follow him, yet daily we treat him not like the king he is, but some vending machine we hope will give us what we want. He's more than a sweet story. Jesus is a way of life. That is is the application. That is the promise of the angel. And as a matter of fact, that's the application for the next four weeks. Awe at the one who condescended to save you and me. That's the Jesus that's described. You know you, and I know me, and Jesus loves me and you anyway. That's the message that the angel had. Those are the promises that Jesus fulfilled. 
That is the hope of the kingdom that we have. Again, Peter said, For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be richly provided for you. In what way? When you trust Jesus as your Savior. So, do you want entry into this eternal kingdom? If you, do, do you want forever with Jesus? Well, there's an understanding that must occur and a decision that has to happen in your life now. The more you put it off, the more you say later, the more you say not right now, the easier it is to say not right now or later the next time. Procrastination breeds merely procrastination. I know. I'm good at it. I am quite the procrastinator, Ph.D. in it. And the longer you put it off, the easier it is to put it off. So do you want entry into the eternal kingdom? Then you need to know some basics. First of all, God is holy and just, and he will judge sin. We could look at some Old Testament prophecies of Jesus, and, and it will say, and he will judge uh, the, the heavens, he, he, and he will judge the earth. And, and we could go on in Luke and read what uh, Simeon said about, uh, about the baby Jesus when he was brought to the temple at eight days old. Judgment's going to happen. Jesus will be right there as a part of that judgment, and he will be judging us. He will be judging our sinfulness. He will be judging whether we have trusted him or not. And he will be judging because as the righteous God, he can. And we will all fail the judgment. We don't skirt into heaven. We don't barely make it into heaven. We don't just get enough good things to outweigh the bad things. So, whew, we did it. We're okay. No, it doesn't work that way. Because, see, we are willfully sinful and fallen. And our destiny, our assurance, as if it is already occurring, we are destined for everlasting torment and judgment. And that's just the way it is. Our sin put us there. Our sinfulness puts us there. It is a guarantee. But Jesus, but this barn-born baby, Conceived by the Holy Spirit, promised to Mary, Son of the Most High God, who will be great and sits on the throne and will have a forever kingdom. He, the perfect Son of God. After the Christmas, after all the presents and the tree was taken down and nobody really talked about him again for, oh, 30 years or so until that one time at church when he seemed a little uh, precocious. When he died on that cross... You can't have Christmas without the cross. That's what the kids told us this morning. And they're right. You have to have the cross. Otherwise, there's no Christmas. Something else society gets wrong in their uh, Christless Christmas celebration. That Jesus that took the place of, of, of us on that cross, took our sin on the cross. He died for you and for me, and he rose three days later because just as Christmas is pointless without the cross, the cross is pointless without the resurrection. The resurrection proved who Jesus was, proved our salvation was possible if we repent of our sin, if we place our faith in Jesus Christ for salvation by believing in him. Yeah, yeah, you have to believe he was who he said he was. You don't get salvation through Jesus and say, yeah, but I don't believe he rose from the dead. 
No, it doesn't work that way. We believe what Jesus said about himself, what he taught about himself, what the Bible tells about him. We believe in him, and then we live for him. A lot of us want to say, oh, yeah, I trust Christ, but he gets a few minutes on Sunday morning uh, two times a month, three times a month maybe, unless something better comes along, unless something doesn't get in the way of, you know, serving Jesus. He wants your entire life. The promise is is an eternal reign, an eternal kingdom with Jesus on the throne. If you you trust him, if you place your faith in him. The promise is also equally an eternity apart from him if you fail to. It's that simple. It is that stark. But it is that hopeful through Jesus Christ. And you can have that today. If you will place your faith in him, if you will believe who he uh, said he is, and tell him, Jesus, save me, he will. It is also that simple. Pray with me. God, thank you for your precious gift of salvation. Thank you that we can look at the promises of the angels. We can see what, what you had in store, what Mary did know and didn't know. We can see what you were going to do through your son, and we can rejoice knowing that, that we have a ruler in our heart that that will rule over us eternally. We have a great Savior with no limitation. Our Savior is the very Son of God. Our, Our Savior is God. And that we will have the opportunity to live with Him, you, forever. But God, just as real for some people here this morning is the guarantee that they will be apart from you forever because they've not trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. Today, I pray that you would work on their hearts. Draw them to you. May they trust Jesus Christ as Savior today. Even with all all the answers, even with a lot of questions and uncertainty, may they still come in faith and trust you. Maybe they want to pray Something like, Lord, I'm a sinner, forgive me. Jesus, take my sin and may I follow you the rest of my life. God, the the prayer is that simple. The turn to you is that simple. May that be the, the, the cry of hearts here this morning. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So living in this earthly kingdom, it's not eternal yet. It's not heavenly yet. How should you respond Do you need to accept Christ this morning? Do you need to be baptized? Do you need to come to the the prayer rails, give some things to Jesus and say, you know what, I have made you second, third, twentieth in my life, but I need to treat you like the eternal, great, son of the most high king that you are and make you ruler of my life again. Maybe you'd like to pray that prayer down here. I'll be down here if you'd like to pray with me or if you have questions. I'll be over here on this side. I'm going to ask Jordan to stand over there on that side. You can go pray with him if you would like. But this morning, as we stand and as we sing, you do business with God.